0: that the reality is, is that as we step into this year, that uh, there's a little thing that some of us partake of, and that is New Year's resolutions. Has anybody had some of those thoughts, what you want to see? And and, you know, really not, I suppose, I think they're a good thing, but more than that, I think it's just good to make some commitments uh, to what you'd love to see different in 2000. Is there anything you'd love to see different in 2018? Is there some things of last year that you'd say, I really don't want that in this year? I've got some things I don't want in last year that I want had in last year that I don't want in this year. I think it's a good thing, you know, take the opportunity. And while I'm thinking about it, all our children, 11 downwards, you can go to the back, pick up a worksheet, what I want to share, and you can, uh, and you can start to fill that in. Is that Okay before I get carried away too much. I, by the way, I just want to remind you, one thing that we'll be starting this week is our prayer meeting. We're going to start praying again. Praying for our nation, praying for our families, praying for God to intervene. I believe that we saw some wonderful things, incredible things happen last year, salvations of lives, uh, just healings, wonderful things as we continue to pray. So Tuesday night, 7 to 8, We'll kick start again our prayer times together just for that hour. Jesus said, he's in the garden of Gethsemane." And he went back to the disciples, the three James, John, and Peter, and he says, "Couldn't you at least for one hour pray with me?" And I think God asks us the same question. Come on! So on Tuesday night, what time? Seven till eight o'clock. We'll be here. So you're very welcome. Brilliant. So, I want to just continue because if this year is going to be any different to last year, there's some things about last year that I want to see in this year because there were great times, great, great, some great things happened. But I'm thinking there's some things that I don't want from last year and this year, and I don't want to move forward and want to grow. I want to be strengthened. I want to mature, I suppose, in the most positive way, not mature as in, you know, rotten that's what some fruit is. It's so mature that it's just gone off. I don't want to be like that. I want to be I want to be alive and active in all that God has for me, physically, spiritually, uh, socially, and every aspect of our being. I think that's a great way to live. You know, we may be a year older, but it doesn't mean we have to be, we're not one year just closer to the grave. We're one, one year closer to all that God has for us, okay? Sometimes we think, oh, I'm a year older. Yeah, that's true, but Reality is, is you're also another year that you can say, hey, there's more for me. There's more. Uh, so would you, can I just pray right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that your word would be more than just letters on a page or on a screen, but it would be something that would bring life. We thank you, Father, for your presence here, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you could do that and open our hearts and but apart from what I might say, Holy Spirit, you speak your truth to every precious person because I know that you intimately care for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus started, uh, had some New Year's resolutions, I think. And while it mightn't be, thank you very much, while it mightn't have been um, uh, in the sense of the finishing of one year and the starting of another, there was some. Because when we, we come to this, these times, there's new seasons, isn't there? We love that word seasons. You know, you go from winter to spring to uh, autumn and to, uh, so on and so on. But there, it can be a new season at the start of a new year. And Jesus had some very new seasons in his life. There's a time when he, when of course he went from his birth period till the age of 30, where he was just he he was under his mother and father's. Um, uh, you know, um, instruction, and uh, he was a carpenter with his dad. There's some silent years there we don't know about Jesus' life up to the age of 30. We know that he was in at the age of 12 what he'd done, some things, but we don't know uh, apart from that. But at the age of 30, a new season kicked in for Jesus, a very new season, and he began his ministry. And then, and then of course, on the northwestern shore of the Lake of Galilee, uh, he went up a hill and. Hundreds and hundreds of people came and gathered around him, and he preached literally his first message. He preached and he shared, and we call it Beatitudes. Beatitudes literally just means blessedness. Um, and really what it was, was Jesus was proclaiming um, how to live a blessed life. Uh, Jesus was... Uh, in his very first sermon, he was outlining the realities of how in the world can uh, how can we as people on this earth live a life fulfilled and and uh, and help others to fulfill their life. And he outlined uh, these these attributes or these these um, proclamations, and we call them the beatitudes. And uh, it's interesting because um, at the age of thirty, he had that season where he started. But it didn't take long. Three years later—that's not very long ministry time. Three years. He went up another hill. The first hill was the hill of Beatitudes. The second hill was the hill of Calvary. And on the hill of Calvary, he died for us, of course. But he fulfilled what he proclaimed when he was 30, at the age of 33, as he was nailed to a cross. Now, I started this little series last month. I just want to continue it. Is that cool? This month. So we see um, on the Mount of Beatitudes, Jesus preached what he should do. On the Mount of Calvary, uh, he practiced uh, what he preached. Uh, we see at the Mount of Beatitudes, Jesus preached and how we're to live. On the Mount of Calvary, Jesus practiced exactly what he preached. Uh, Jesus didn't talk the talk, he also walked the walk. Would you agree? Uh, and so we see, while he gave us um, this, these comments at the Beatitudes, he then kind of, um, at the 33 on the cross, he said a number of things that kind of, Uh, showed us exactly that he was willing to live out what he preached his life around. And uh, we talked about one already. One of them was the statement on the Hill of Beatitudes that said this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Remember that one? If you weren't here, I'll give you a three-minute insight into that. Blessed are are the meek, for they inherit the earth. And he fulfilled that statement at the Mount of Calvary while nailed to a cross. And he said in Luke 23, 34... He says, "Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do." And now you may say, "What's the connection between these two verses? How in the world is that statement in Luke 23 uh, epitomize being um, meek? Well, it's got a lot to do with it, because if you think about it, Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't return fire for fire. Um, can you think about his life? You think about the realities. He he, he, when they tried, you know, there was a time when they were going to stone him, and he didn't throw stones back. There was a time, remember, where they were going to push him off a cliff in one of the gospels that talks about that. And he and he simply he didn't try and grab someone and take them over with him. You know, he he just walked back through the crowd and got on with his life. There was times they threw insults at him; he didn't insult back. There was many times uh, that they had done certain things, but Jesus never retaliated or responded. And of course, they crucified him, and he forgave them. to be meek is to have possession of yourself because you can appreciate often when things are aimed at us there is the natural inclination to retaliate to fire back to reta- you know with insult to give insult with blow to you to give blow back Jesus showed us that he had complete control of his ability to not retaliate to not get back, give back what he had received. And that's not, that's not a weakness, people. That's a great strength under control. And that's what Jesus did at the Calvary. And that's why he said he had the ability there as he was nailed to this cross. He saw the people that had insulted him. He saw the people that had whipped him and nailed him there. And yet he said, Father, would you just forgive them? Because I really don't know what they're up to. What a powerful illustration of meekness. What a powerful illustration of uh, you know having the ability uh, to have self-control. See, we often exalt and celebrate uh, the aggression, the aggressive, don't we? And sometimes admire the arrogant in this world and think, oh, you know, but that's not what Jesus did with that. He didn't, and we sometimes put emphasis on the wrong things. We need to put emphasis on the reality that... that Sometimes not fighting back is a powerful demonstration of uh, God's incredible love for us and our love for people. So to have meekness is to have possession of yourself. And it's that virtue that controls our aggression and our reactionary nature. It controls that reactionary nature. And Jesus was so in possession of himself. He used to get angry when his father was slandered or holiness was upset, you know, pulled down. But he never got angry when he was personally attacked. He just got angry, remember? Remember, he went into the temple and he turned over the tables. He said, this is my father's house. It's not a a den of thieves. And he got upset and he made a whip and all the rest of it. But he never got angry because he was being about himself. He got angry because of what his father was being attacked. And his aggression was never fired back when people fight at him. So God wants us to be the same. And if we ever wondered uh, what that verse, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. There it is in a real nutshell. Let's go on because there's another verse in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. That's not the whole verse. Here's the rest of the verse. It says, blessed are the what? Poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that is a powerful statement. I love it that Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. You know, God wants to bless your life, not pull your life down. He's not standing there ready to hit you over the head when every time you make a mistake. He doesn't agree with our mistakes, but he seeks to add grace to it when we come to him and repent. And I love it because he wants to see blessing on our life. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what your thoughts have been about that, but sometimes I've heard this interpretation. Well, maybe the verse is talking about poor in spirit is doing life. It's doing, it's being, it's, you know, it's when you do life tough. It's when you haven't got enough of maybe things for life, or maybe you haven't got enough um, clothes or enough food for this week. And that's what, maybe that's what poor in spirit really means. In actual fact, we sometimes see this thought that if you haven't got enough, of things like material possessions, in actual fact, you have more opportunity to be more spiritual if you have nothing. And that's not true. You know, if you're doing it tough and well, you've got more. You you've got a greater capacity to be spiritual, and that's not the truth. The truth is, is that sometimes when we get the things of this world off the top of the priority list and put God there, that's when we. Uh, when we start to really see what is the important stuff in life. And the truth is, is that, that just because we don't have much doesn't make us more spiritual. You can have a lot and be totally spiritual. It's where you put the priority of those things in your heart, isn't it? So um, sometimes people are that poor in spirit. is, Or maybe it's just being, having a, a spiritual richness in our lives. Being more spiritually superior than others and all that type of stuff. And it's not necessarily that either. Let's look at it for a moment because Jesus, while he said this at the age of 30, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On the Calvary, the corresponding verse in Luke 23, 46 is this. The last statement he made before he breathed his last breath. He said, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you may ask the question again, how are those two verses, blessed are the poor in spirit, and Jesus crying out father in your hands I commit my life how are they connected how in the world do they does that Luke 23 demonstrate poor in spirit well please understand Jesus died uh, how he lived he always was acknowledging his father always acknowledging his father and the need of a relationship with his heavenly Father he always needed that throughout his life he'd go and withdraw and spend time with Uh, his heavenly father and so as he dies Jesus then says in confidence God literally would you just look after me now as I step into uh, I step into death heavenly father would you just look after me now why did he say that I think he said it for everybody else to hear and not so much for himself because he knew his father was going to look after him had such confidence but at the, at the same, not only did everybody else need to hear that day that was around the base of the cross, but he also wanted them to see of his continual need of, in his continual relationship with his heavenly Father. And that, my folk, that, folks, is being poor in spirit. It's not so much an action, it's an attitude and a conviction in your heart that I cannot live life without this continual spiritual input from a heavenly Father who created me. Because he has the best way for me to live. Many people in the world live without God and do okay. And you know what that is? I think that's God's incredible grace. Because he's just waiting for the day for them to come to him. And acknowledge their poorness of spirit and the need for him. Now, poorness of spirit is not a put down. It is an actual fact. It's an uplifting thing. Because it really is that conviction within our heart that we continually need our heavenly father in our life. It's a a realization that we can't do life necessarily. We can do life, and you can probably do it well, but the reality is is He's the one who provides everything we need. He's our source and our strength. And um, um, without Him in every part of our life, I want to tell you, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I've got nothing without Him in my life. And I find that left to myself, no connection with, with God on a daily basis. And my human nature will take me off on tangents all the time. All the time. Um, and it leaves me, often, it can leave me feeling hollow and sometimes unfulfilled. And the reality is, is that we, if we get into that slot more and more and more, we start to think that's normal, and yet God has got so much more peace and joy and happiness and hope and a future for you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, if I can give it to you in the amplified version, this may just give you a little bit more explanation. Um, sometimes I look at other versions of the Bible, same verse, and it just it kind of emphasizes something. And Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, amplified version, those devoid of spiritual ar- um, arrogance, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Don't you love that? Those who have no spiritual arrogance. If there was ever a group of people in the that New Testament part of the Bible, who are arrogant, it would have to be these gentlemen called the Pharisees. And uh, as we look at their lives, they clash with Jesus all the time. And yet they were supposed to be the spiritual elite of the day. They were supposed to know so much. They, and yet they had spiritual arrogance. Not all of them, some of them. There was Pharisees who came to Jesus and accepted him. There were others who rejected Jesus and were behind, of course, his crucifixion and death. But a lot of them, unfortunately, considered themselves as spiritually superior to all other believers in God. And they had no need for a savior. And they had no need for a teacher. They had no need for a rabbi like Jesus Christ. And they literally wanted him out of their lives and, of course, uh, dead. Poor in spirit, you know is to acknowledge our spiritual need, which is to acknowledge that we, what we need in order to order our inner world. And there's one thing the Pharisees didn't want. They had this arrogance about them, unfortunately, that was direct opposite the poor in spirit. There was no passion um, to know the Heavenly Father. The only passion, unfortunately, many Pharisees had was to work for their... Uh, to, get, to do everything that God wanted them to do, but there was no relationship. And we weren't saved. We were while we, you know, we weren't saved by good works, but we were certainly saved for good works. But the Pharisees kind of stopped there at the first statement. They were, they thought, well, as long as I do enough, I'll please God. And it wasn't the case in uh, when Jesus was speaking here about poor in spirit. So, you know, we've got to be aware that we have successes and we have achievements, and we need to be thankful for those. But we need to not place confidence in them as the pinnacle of our lives. Because if they start to take priority over what God God's place in our lives, they then start to become our little God. And, uh, and the truth is that it's exactly opposite the poor in spirit. Because we need God to be at that top place of priority. And as we place him there, everything else flows on down and blessing flows from that. And uh, there's one thing that the Pharisees didn't do was ex- that. And we've got to be careful because the world culture celebrates self-praise and self-exaltation. And you know, you've got to do the best you can. You've got to get to the top of the ladder. It, you know, that kind of attitude. And, and while we may not agree with it, but we've got to be careful we don't do Is you, you know, the world says, you know, you just climb over whoever you need to climb over to get there. It really is about you. That's the culture of the world. Really is about you. Uh, and, and, and while God sees us as utterly important and so important, the reality is that's not, it really isn't about us, but it's about Him in us, Him working in our hearts. And that's when we acknowledge that and uh, take a hold of that, then we'll see the reality of what poor in spirit really is. You know, um, poor in spirit is realizing that what really makes us better people is not what is around us as much as what's in within, within us. And what goes on within us is the absolute need of God's presence through His Holy Spirit. And, us, and not just us saying that's nice, but understanding that, having a conviction for that. Um, poor in spirit is ordering our inner world of our heart so that we place correct priority on our inner world and allowing God into that inner world while living in an external world. While living in the world that we live in, or all the things that we face, all the joys and all the struggles, living in that world, but realizing there's something in here uh, that can make us give us so much strength and peace in the midst of sometimes the struggle. So I see that even Jesus uh, had a reliance on his father, not not just at the age of 30. Jesus just didn't all of a sudden start a relationship with his father at the age of 30. He started at... Look, Ultimately, Jesus Christ knew his future since his conception somehow, and maybe as a child he might't have full understanding of that, but as he developed as a young man, he certainly did at the age of twelve, there was a story that goes like this: Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to Jerusalem to uh, partake of the festivals that was important for the Jewish nation to partake of, and they uh, had that week there of festa, you know celebrating in the festival, and then they 're all coming home back to their all all the people are moving and Joseph and Mary uh, assumed that Jesus was in the crowd of people because there was family members in that crowd. And they were walking back to where they lived in all the different little villages around um, uh, Samaria and uh, and Galilee. Galilee. And they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't there. And after a day, they realized he wasn't in the crowd. And so they went back to Jerusalem. And it says it was on the third day, about three days later, they found him in the temple talking to the teachers of the temple, talking to the learned men. And they were surprised and Joseph and Mary quite literally um, really rebuked Jesus in a way. And they said in effect, why have have you done this? Your father and I have been frantic looking for you everywhere. And you can appreciate if your 12 year old was lost for three days, you'd certainly be concerned. But we see the reaction of of Joseph and Mary was, wow, what is happening here? And yet we see Jesus' response to them was incredible. And what he says, why did you seek me? Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Well, you know, they probably said, well, you put it that way. Yeah, we understand. But, you know, you're still our son. And it says that Jesus went home with them and honored them and obeyed them. So it wasn't like he was rebellious. But the point that I want to make is I'm sure that Jesus loved and honored his father Joseph, this man that had given him his name, uh, this man that had raised him up. But he introduced to them that day as a 12-year-old the concept that not only did he have um, this man who was his earthly father in a sense, even though he never fathered him in conception, but he certainly was his earthly father and earthly mother. Um, Not only was there earthly father, but there was a heavenly father. And sometimes his heavenly father's agenda was not going to coincide with his earthly father's agenda. And the reality is, Poor in spirit is acknowledging there is a higher agenda than my self-centered life. That's the point. Poor in spirit is acknowledging that there's a higher agenda than sometimes my self-centered life. And it's God's. And the more we draw near to him in 2018, the more that will be revealed in how he wants to live. Um, Jesus modeled it throughout his life. Um, I spoke to Mr. Google this week, and I just Googled poor in spirit on my computer. And it came up with a great definition. I've heard other pastors and ministers use the same definition um, for poor in spirit. And, it, and, the, and it, they gave us this definition. Poor in spirit is to have an inner Detachment. Like that, inner detachment. You might ask, what does that mean? It means this. It literally means an inner detachment from all the things that want to try and rule your heart in your mind in your life that may be still good, but they do not need to be placed in number one priority in your life. It's an inner detachment from those things that are temporary in a sense. And they're good while we're here on earth, but you can't take them with you. That's the reality. And and I love that example. And it's not about what you've got, but the greater emphasis in what's got you. That's the emphasis. And you know we have stuff. It's but it's having a detachment from the stuff. We have cars, uh, we have houses, we have clothes, we have food. Aren't you glad for those? Definitely. I enjoyed Christmas lunch like usual. Put on a couple kilos, um, and uh, it was brilliant. But you know the reality is it, it only lasts for so long, and it's not a. It, it can't be the number one priority. Stuff is good. It's your you know whether it's your achievements in life on the sporting field or maybe it's at the workplace environment you achieve great things, or maybe um, uh, you know you, you're, you've got material possessions and you, you're proud of having those. You've got a, a nice house. Well, that's all good. It's all brilliant. Um, but you know. It, it's got to be, the poor in spirit is placing that stuff in the right priority. Even my ego, based around my personal popularity, has to be put in the right priority. Because it, those things really can't be what make you and give you your identity in life. Because they're temporary. They're temporary, aren't they? I was, I was just so aware, uh, yesterday morning, I um, went for my usual little jog in, on Saturday morning, um, There's a group in Gladstone called Park Run. They actually meet all over the world. And um, they meet at seven o'clock, five kilometers. That's what they do. And you can go anywhere all over the world and find a park run. And I did it on the Gold Coast when I was down there. What I'm trying to say is I enjoy trying to uh, keep fit to some extent. I, I, I want to try and live so that I can be healthy enough to be effective for a while yet. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's what I've told myself. But as I was contemplating this message yesterday morning, it's like God just got His finger and tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, "Because you know what happens is, is after the park run, they um, they post all the results of your run on the internet page, park run internet page, Gladstone, and you can not only see how fast you run, the time you did, but you see your percentage compared to everybody else in your age group. You know, all around the world, they they give you a percentage, and and uh, you know, and I was keenly looking it up yesterday morning, and as I'm keenly looking it up, I get this, you know, this little voice in your head saying, why are you doing this? Well, I just, I just you know, I'd convinced myself it's just about keeping fit and want to, be, want to do the best for God. And, you know, as, as I sat there, I realized that I'm more engrossed in seeing and comparing myself to others than really just about the fitness aspect. And as I started to read that and think, oh yeah, I done well again, and I got in the high percentages, and I, and I got you know, in my place yesterday out of seventy runners was this. Oh gee, that's good. Oh, you know, I done, and I God just it was like He was speaking to my heart, saying, what are you really placing first? Because what you place in first in your life will depend on whether you you have this this blessed poor in spirit attitude and conviction. And I suppose Mike and. As I drilled down on it, I just realized that I was placing more priority on me and my ability and what I've got and what other people think of me and my popularity. And it builds my identity and it gives me an ego. And I think, all that has got to die. <laughs> because if I continue to... Is fitness and activity good? Definitely Walk, do whatever you need to do, garden, whatever activity. But the reality is, what do I place first? And as I started to think about it, I, had to, I sat there, and I must admit, a bit of a tear in my eye, and I said, Father, I just repent of my attitude, and I hand it over to you, because it's really not going to help me understand of my relationship for you. If that's going to take number one place, it'll be more of that than you, and I don't need that in my life. What's yours? What's the thing that keeps you from placing him in that priority in your life? And truly fulfilling what Jesus said, having poor in spirit. The truth is, stuff, whether it's stuff or achievements, don't make me a better person. Uh, And they don't really make me who I am. And if those things and that achievements don't really make me who I am, then not having it will not make me less of who I am. Does that make sense? If having it doesn't make me more of who I am, not having it will not make me less of who I am. And so when you think about that, it really does affect the way you live life and how, what priority you put things, even your material possessions, even the things you have. If you base your identity on what you have, my car, my house, my whatever, my money, my finance, you'll be very reluctant to give it up because it's who you are. It's what makes you who you are. But if you see the blessedness of your life, that's not number one priority. When someone says, oh, can I lend you car? Or can I lend you a trailer? Or, or, or would, you just, would you give your tithes and offerings? You'll say, definitely, because that's not who I am. It's not my priority. It really is all God's anyway, and so I'm, I'm free. I don't have to be bound by this thing that holds my soul ransom in that I've got to keep it close to me because that's who I am. I'm a 54-year-old who can run. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> my knees still work, man. My ego feels good today. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm this percentage in the world. I'm doing better than average. Wow. Folks, it, it doesn't. It, it, if I didn't have it, would I be less of a person? So we've got to be careful. Um, in Acts 17 28, I haven't got that verse up there. It just says this wonderful little verse that many of you know. And it says, you know what? It's in him. It's in him. Fifty-three times in the New Testament, it says the word, in Him. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. Um, it's true, isn't it? It's in Him. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. Um, and so, to be poor in spirit is willing to, be, to sacrifice that which we're attached to. And as I said before, that sometimes which holds our identity at ransom... It says, this is who you are, and it's not who you are. You know, even in church life, we've got to be careful that we don't say, well, my ministry is who I am. It's not that. If it was taken away tomorrow, would you still be able to stand and enjoy a relationship with God? That's the thing I'm talking about. We can make our identity based upon a whole bunch of things, but it's really in Him. Um, To be poor in spirit is to know Jesus' love and grace Because my identity is not found in these things but in him. And Jesus wants us to be blessed by dealing with the stuff and dealing with the inflated egos and dealing with the pride. He wants us to be blessed. He doesn't want us to partake. He wants us to realize the priority they have because poor spirit is understanding and having the conviction that he's got to be there and nothing else can take that place. There's a a passage in the Bible in Luke 18. I'll put it up there, uh, but I'll just... I won't read it. I'll just describe the story to you. Uh, there were um, Jesus told this parable. There were two men who walked into a temple one day. It sounds like two men walked into a bar, doesn't it? But it's two men walked into a temple. I don't know any bar stories. Um, no, I do. Two men walked into a bar. It hurt. Um, second one. But this story, two men walked into a temple. And uh, one was a Pharisee. And uh, they're both praying. And the Pharisee uh, well, uh, you know, said to himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> he says, I'm thinking not like evildoers or adulterers or even that tax collector over there. Because the second guy was a tax collector. Um, yeah, team, you can come. And um, and, he, and the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week and I give the tenth of all that I get. Wow. But notice the tax collector. The tax collector stood a bit further back and he Um, He he kind of he didn't even look up to heaven, and he kind of um, he was grieved in his heart, and he said, "God have mercy on me! I've I've done some bad things. I've sinned. I've done the wrong thing in life um, before you." Um, And then Jesus says this in verse fourteen: "They tell you that the um, the man who was the who, who humbled himself was the man that was justified before God, and not the religious teacher, the Pharisee, or." So the heart, of the heart of the two people, we see one that is self-righteous and one that was God-dependent. And we see that the crux of what poor in spirit is all about right there in those two characters. You know, the Pharisee was right. There's nothing wrong with prayer and fasting. There's nothing wrong with giving. That's all brilliant. It's just that we have to remind God of what we've done. God, I've done this for you. I've done that. If we have to remind other people what we've done, you know, it's probably time to just kind of consider your priorities. And sometimes we know it's not good to remind other people, but we're continually reminding ourselves, "Oh, so good, so good." Oh, yep. And we don't do it like that, but in our heart creeps in this attitude: "Oh man, I've done well there. I've done well there." And it's good to acknowledge what you've done, but it's, you've got to be able to differentiate between when it's just acknowledging it and when it's getting into your heart and building up yourself to the point where that's the priority, that's the dream. Wow. See, the tax collector, he placed himself in a humble position. He said, Father, you know, I've blown it and I just need you in my life. I just need you, I right? ask basically, for your forgiveness. And Jesus said he was more justified. It was nothing to do with the position. It was nothing to do with any of that stuff, what he wore, what either men wore, or their position, or their status in life. It was to do with their heart attitude. And poor in spirit is exactly that. And um, poor in spirit commends those who realize their destitute condition before God. Poor in spirit uh, realizes that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, and we need him Continually in our lives, it's the tax collector. Poor in spirit is the tax collector standing in the temple or kneeling in the temple before God and saying, God, be merciful to me. And I suppose my question this morning, I'll leave you with this question What does your life look like today? Does it look like the self righteous Pharisee or the God dependent tax collector? I know that probably what more than likely happens in life is we kind of come in and out of those phases sometimes. And as we step into 2018, God says, I want you to be blessed. And he knows the best way to be blessed. He says, bless the poor in spirit, they'll inherit you know, the earth and heaven. He, he wants you to live, I suppose, a life that uh, places the right priorities so that you can enjoy life and you can truly fulfill all that he has for you. So this morning can we stand? I'd like to just pray for you and as we go into the rest of this day i love you just to bow for a moment with me Heavenly Father uh, we stand here on equal ground Um, reality is not one better than the other but the reality is, is that we um, I would pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for me that, Father, you'd help us as men and women, young and old, uh, to have an understanding and a conviction within our lives that we need uh, you, that we need you in every aspect of our lives. And, Father, where there's those, um, those things that come into our hearts and want to try and take priority, we ask for your strength to say no to that because it happens, and they want to build our ego and they want to build our pride. But Lord, help us to understand when that happens so that we could place you in the rightful place. Right at the start of this year, seven days into this year, we say, Father, help us to know what it really means to be poor in spirit, to be always have the conviction and acknowledgement of you in our lives on a daily basis, and to live with that ever present awareness. That your presence is there in all that we look at, all that we say, all that we do, all that we speak. How we treat our families, Lord. How we treat our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents, our loved ones. How we treat our employer. How we treat our employees. How we treat people that we don't know. Just in the shopping center. How we generally look at life. Father, that we realize we need you in all of that. So that we can respond and we can act and live for you this year. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks the truth to us. And we give you all the honor and praise. And I'm confident in this, Lord, that your word is alive and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So we can come and pierce even our hearts and souls and help us to live life. And do that this morning. Far above what I speak, Holy Spirit, you do it. I ask. In Jesus' name. And everyone who would agree with that, would you say amen with me? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just worship just for one moment this morning. Let's just for a moment give him some opportunity just to speak to our hearts about what's been shared. You called me out upon the waters.